Hello and welcome to episode 78 of Linux Downtime. I'm Joe. I'm Gary. And I'm Amalith. Good to talk to you both again. So today, I want to talk about the distros we use. Amalith, I can't believe you haven't already said it, but you use Arch. <laughs> Gary, you use Debian, but I think there's a bit of an asterisk there. And I use Zubuntu. Now, why? That's what I want to know. Why on earth would you use something like Debian that is so slow moving and boring? And why on earth would you use something so exciting that breaks all the time like Arch? There, I've just trolled every Arch user out there. So Amalith, why do you use Arch? It's a community distro. I know the maintainers are never going to do bullshit like putting ads in my terminal, for example. <laughs> That one just really grinds my gears. It's easy enough to get rid of I them. know. <laughs> I just, I, I don't like ads anywhere. And the idea of seeing ads on my PC, like when I'm trying to work, just pisses me off. I, I don't like it on Windows. I don't like it anywhere. All right. Well, you better give me back that free food that I got <laughs> you from the advertiser of this episode. But I also like it... Because the packages are so much more up to date and there's the AUR, I don't ever have to worry about something not being packaged for my distribution. It's already there. But for like the extremely rare cases that it's not, or the AUR package is orphaned or not being updated, writing my own package build is like stupid simple. I can do that myself. I guess it just comes down to being a community distro that is rolling release. I don't like big updates. I like just sticking on what I've got, continually updating, and only sometimes having things break. (laughs) (laughs) I prefer when things never break, which I suppose no operating system is capable of never breaking, but Mm -hmm. it gets pretty close with an Ubuntu LTS. What about you, Gary? Why Debian? So I got into Debian a really long time ago circa 2000, 2001. So like we didn't have a whole lot of options at the time, right? It was basically Red Hat, Debian, maybe Mandrake. Slackware. Oh yeah, or Slackware. So, you know, I went with Debian because it was simple, easy to use, stuff like that. I mean, I shouldn't say it was easy to use. The installer was kind of a nightmare back then. You had to know which kernel drivers you wanted to load and stuff like that, which clearly as a new Linux user, I had no idea what I needed. But over time, you know, I just grew and adapted to it. But um, for... like 15 plus years now, I haven't run Debian stable. I've been running unstable with experimental, which is about as close as you'll get to Arch without being Arch. For example, like GTK 4.10 was released a couple months ago and it sat in experimental for a while and I could have updated to it, but I didn't because there's caused some other issues, stuff like that, right? But it's like, I have the option to be there, but I'm still on Debian, which is still super stable. So like the whole... Debian is old thing like that. That really only affects stable. If you want a rolling like distro with Debian, you can just use testing, which in most cases is generally fine. So for me, Debian's always just been the way to go. I never really had a reason to change. Like Amla said, it's also a community based distro. Debian's also done some crazy things as a project. Some people will forget, and I think most of these are being canceled now. But Debian was using the moniker of the Universal Operating System a while ago. Mm where they supported kernels other than the Linux kernel. So there was a FreeBSD kernel, an OpenBSD kernel, and a GNU herd kernel that you could use with Debian. Yeah. Aside from that, Debian is still a community-based distro, but they still support something obscene like 11 different processor architectures. 
I mean, you can run Debian on an S390 mainframe, for example, which is absolutely nuts. So, you know, with my background of, you know, connecting all the things together and abstracting things away with Pigeon, Debian seems like very similar values to what we're trying to do with Pigeon. And then on top of that, you've got the whole Debian free software guidelines and everything that is like, we're going to make sure this stuff remains free and we're following the licenses to a T, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Whereas a lot of that stuff just kind of gets shrugged off now and people don't seem to care as much anymore. And don't get me wrong, I do love Debian a lot. All but one of my servers run Debian. And that one server is Arch because LexD is natively packaged for it and I didn't want to do the snap. That is the only reason that server runs Arch. Everything else is Debian. I also wanted to mention, you talked about how easy packaging is in Arch. Packaging in Debian is not easy Mm -hmm. by any means. (laughs) You can call it sunk cost fallacy if you want, but I learned how to package Debian stuff a long time ago. So it's like, I'm going to keep doing it because I know how to do it. And it covers a lot of people when you package stuff for Debian. So like, there's not really good reason for me to change on that front either. Well, that's something I wanted to ask you about, Gary. How much crossover is there with Ubuntu? Once you've packaged it for Debian, presumably it's not that much extra work to make it work in Ubuntu. Yeah, generally speaking, you just run DE build on a Ubuntu distro with the same packaging stuff. For the official repositories, it's a little bit different. Your Debian config directory is going to be handled differently, that kind of stuff. But it's they're essentially the same at that point. There's maybe some minor differences in package names, but generally speaking, there's no big deals. It's real easy. But the majority of Linux users, desktop Linux users, are on Ubuntu. So wouldn't it make sense, as someone who's developing software that runs on Linux, to use the most widely adopted distro. There might be some truth in that, but Debian is the most forked distro or whatever you want to call it. So by working on Debian itself, just like we talked about how it's easy to do Ubuntu packages for it, it's also easy to do Mint Debian Edition and anything else that's based on Debian because I'm just starting at the base. It's one of the biggest upstreams, yeah. You've been very diplomatic, Gary, but (laughs) there is a, a certain distaste for canonical that goes into your decision, I feel. So you're not wrong. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So back when Ubuntu first came out, there's a joke going around that some of you may remember. So Ubuntu is supposed to be an ancient African word for sharing and community or something like that. I don't remember specifically. But the joke that went around was Ubuntu, ancient African word for those that can't configure Debian. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's, it's kind of been my sentiment all along, but at the same time, I, like as I've gotten older and matured, right, it's more a matter of use what you want. I don't really care. Somebody using Ubuntu doesn't affect me as an open source upstream. I'm going to have to support any Linux distro there is because people will come in and ask for support. So, you know, I just have to deal with it. What you described as your Debian experience sounds a lot like Fedora to me in that that's pretty cutting edge, but it's also stable at the same time. And you're looking to upgrade every, you know, nine months-ish, let's say, six to nine months, and it works perfectly, but you've still got pretty fresh packages, not as fresh as Arch. So it seems like that would be an attractive proposition for you. So much like Amolith, I don't like the every couple months big upgrade. So when I'm running Debian Unstable, I update, I don't know, every two weeks or so or whenever I remember, and I just get a whole bunch of new stuff constantly. For all intents and purposes, Debian testing and Unstable are a rolling distro. They're just not 
rolling in the sense that the name means now, right? It's just like, yep, somebody updated the package, there it is, you're good to go. But it's not really advertised as a rolling distro kind of thing. Well, that's kind of what I've been doing with Zubuntu for the last year or so, maybe more than that, is just sticking on the latest development release. And every time a new release comes out, I then upgrade to the latest development release. And it's not any different, really, but it slowly morphs into the next release. And so there's not really any major changes for me. For my NAS and servers generally, I stick to the LTS, but for my desktop machines, that's what I've been doing, and it's generally been fine. I have had to uh, downgrade once or twice for various reasons, but otherwise it's been fairly smooth, i found. So that is an option with Ubuntu. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the thing with like Debian Unstable, though, is things can get real broke there, which is why I recommend people start testing first. So for those that don't know, explaining Debian testing in Unstable is basically... All new packages go into unstable, and then after some amount of days, it depends on certain packages, they automatically get migrated to testing. That means is testing has this extra level of stability in it. But like recently, I went to update my machine, and everything was updating to Qt6. And that was going to uninstall all of the KDEA stuff on my machine. So that was a don't update today kind of moment. And that's one of the things you have to watch out for as you're running Debian Unstable or any rolling distro. When is your machine going to break? And that was one of those moments where it was just like, cancel, you know, a couple of days later, go back, everything's fine, do the update. That's been my experience as well. Yeah, you have to be aware of the updates with us, don't you? You can't just do a Pac-Man SYU every day mm -hmm. and just assume it's going to be fine. You have to keep an eye on the uh, blog and stuff. Yes, that is very true. Earlier this year, there was a big breaking change in how Pac-Man... I think how the Pac-Man config file is formatted. And if you weren't watching the news, I have it in my RSS reader, so I saw it as soon as they published it, almost. If you didn't make that change, then the next time you updated, you would pull down an empty database for the extra repository. Or maybe it was community. I, I don't remember which repository it was, but there would you would just have no packages for that. Why would you use a distro where that's even possible? Fresh stuff. <laughs> New shiny. <laughs> <laughs> but in a world of flat packs and snaps and app images and containers and stuff, do you really need your operating system to be the latest shiny? None of those containerized applications integrate nearly as deeply with the tools I am currently using as my quote-unquote desktop. And I, I guess this goes back to kind of why I found Arch to begin with. My first laptop was a, a shitty Chromebook. It had a 1.1 gigahertz dual core processor and two gigs of RAM and 16 gigs of storage. It was terrible. It did not run any mainstream distro at all. The options were Gallium OS, which was specifically made for Chromebooks and included some touchpad drivers but that was heavier than I wanted, or some boutique Linux distro made by three people in their spare time. Hang on, I thought you said Gallium OS. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, I, just to be clear, I absolutely love Gallium OS, and I think it's a great distro, mostly because it's based on Ubuntu, uh, and it's, so it's just exactly what I wanted for my Chromebook C720 before the keyboard just totally died. Or I could go with Bare Arch and build it myself using extremely lightweight 
components like Polybar and i3 and small things like that. And once I had it set up how I liked, I've never wanted to change. Every time I go to use Ubuntu, for example, on a laptop, I think, oh, these touchpad gestures are really cool. I like all of this. It's pleasant to use, but it's not what I'm used to. It's not the setup that I've spent the last five years curating for myself. I think that's another big part of why I'm still on Arch. But the thing is, you can do that with just about any distro. Yes, but it's more difficult because not all of these stupid little community components are packaged in the thing in, in your that distribution's repositories, and then you have to build it yourself. And that's pain in the ass. On Arch, it's all already here. Okay, that's very fair. In my cases, I would just build them myself. But that's because I come from the old days when you had to do that. On an Acer C, C whatever Chromebook, C710 it was, compiling stuff was not an option. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything, man. I used to compile the Linux kernel on a Pentium 166. <laughs> so, no, thank yeah. you. <laughs> oh, no. Dual core, one gigahertz. Watch out. <laughs> How long did that take, Gary? It was mostly like a whole day thing. But like, I was trying to get a Prism 54G wireless card working. So I couldn't use the Debian stock kernel because I needed a newer version of PCMCIA. So I had to compile my own kernel without PCMCIA, then compile a newer PCMCIA as a module. Then I could compile the Prism 54G driver. And it literally was an all-day process. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Factor. With the busy fall season just around the corner, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy running around during the day to think about lunch? Keep your energy up with Lunch To Go, effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. Round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of more than 40 add-ons, including breakfast items, like delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and potato bacon and egg breakfast skillet. Gary tried Factor and said he loved the variety of delicious meals, found it super convenient, and was happy to see how recyclable the packaging is. So support the show and go to factormeals.com LDT50 and use code LDT50 to get 50% off. That's code LDT50 at factormeals.com LDT50 to get 50% off. Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to linuxdowntime.com support. And remember that for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at linuxdowntime.com. You mentioned the AUR a couple of times. Do you really trust everything in the AUR? Like, how do you verify that it's not, you know, I don't think, I've said this before, I don't automatically assume sinister people putting malware in there. I'm thinking more misconfigurations that are going to leave gaping security holes. I read the package build. You read it once and then every subsequent update, it'll show you the diff from the old package build to the new one. And you can just vet at a glance what changed. And if you, as long as you read it that first time, and you know the where it started was good, then you can just quickly identify, hey, this is still fine to use. And all a package build does is 
someone in the community puts what the developer is doing in your hands. In my opinion, that's basically the same as Flatpak and Snap and all that stuff. You still have to trust that the developer is not going to do dumb stuff with the data you put in that application. If you don't trust the developer, why are you using the application, in my opinion? Yeah, which is why I tend to prefer software that comes from the Ubuntu repos, if possible. Mm -hmm. You can say you can trust the developer with the data you're putting in that application, but you don't want them to be able to get to your private SSH keys, for example. Mm. And that's fair. I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> I don't have a rebuttal to that. Yeah. That is a very valid danger. And yeah, I'm risking that when I install stuff from the AUR. You're also risking that when you install stuff from PIP, NPM, whatever, from any of them, even Flatpak. Mm -hmm. Flatpak can request your home directory access and your SSH keys are there. But yeah, that's always a risk, unfortunately. So Gary, do you use Debian on all your servers then? Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything that's not Debian. One of the things I've been doing with some of them is I've been running them with Debian Stable recently. I used to run Unstable everywhere, but that just becomes a pain to update everything. And I have a ton of machines now that I just do all the updates with them via Ansible. So, you know, I just run a command and walk away, which is great for me because <laughs> I'm running something like 16 machines now in my house. So that's a lot of <laughs> manual updating. And you use ZFS, right? So do you have to deal with DKMS then? I surprisingly don't really ever have problems with DKMS. I hear people complain about it all the time. Like back when it first came out eons ago, sure, there was issues. Every now and then I'll have a problem with it. Where like, uh, what was the most recent one? AUFS had issues, but like I didn't need AUFS, so I just uninstalled it. It got pulled in for Docker or something, but they now moved to uh, Overlay 2. So just removed it, it was gone, problem solved. You see, that's what puts me off moving away from Ubuntu for my NAS, for example, is having to deal with that. With Ubuntu, it's just right there. It just works. That's how I felt about DKMS for a long time. Probably 10, 15 years ago, I used to compile the NVIDIA kernel driver by hand, and that sucked. That was horrible. Then they had DKMS packages for it, and it just worked. And every now and then... In Debian Unstable, we'll get an updated kernel where the driver's not up to date for it yet, but that hasn't happened in a real long time. Actually, I think I did have one recently with ZFS, but that might have been that I had the kernel from Backports, but the ZFS driver wasn't from Backports. And that was just me messing up the app get update command to not include Backports. And then I included Backports and everything was fine. Well, you two are just wrong as far as I can see. <laughs> Wait, so why do you use Ubuntu or Zubuntu? Because it's just the middle ground. I mean, the, the desktop, because XFCE is just the best desktop, that's uh, objectively true. You know, I used to feel that way, and then I started using i3, and I, I was swayed. Get the joke? But why an Ubuntu base? Because it's the most widely used, it works the best, it's just Debian with polish, and... If I ever have a problem, someone has run into it and found a solution. And it's just a few searches away to find that problem and fix it. I feel like that's Debian as well because of Ubuntu. So it doesn't matter. I feel like that's Arch as well because there's a massive community of people. You can ask a question and someone will have an answer. They might be a bit of an ass about it, but they'll have an answer. Yeah, well, that's another thing. The Ubuntu community is bound by the code of conduct. Mm-hmm. And so anyone who is an arsehole gets told not to be. 
and it's generally much more welcoming, especially to new users with supposedly dumb questions. Maybe I'm just a mainstream person, you know, with the edge of using XFCE. That's my edginess, but the base of it, I want it to be something edge mainstream. In triple air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, look, we can't all be, um, you know, I3 guys like you two. I actually want to use my mouse. XFCE is perfectly fine. Yeah, and to be clear, like when I was using XFCE, I was basically treating it the way I treat I3 now. I just no longer have to manually position windows, which is the big time save for me. Yeah. To your point about Ubuntu just working, I have actually had more issues configuring Ubuntu for server use than I have with Debian, because a lot of stuff comes pre-configured out of the box, and it's not what I expect. Yeah, whereas I learned the Ubuntu way, and so those defaults are just how it should be as far as I'm concerned. Sure. People who have been keeping track of me for a while. You've heard me say multiple times that popularity doesn't mean something is good and that the best is a metric at a given point in time. It is not a constant. So what that means is while Ubuntu may have the most users, that doesn't mean it's the de facto best, but best is relative to the specific time and stuff like that. So like if it works for you, that's great. But like for me, it just, it doesn't work. I thought Amalith was going to mention some stuff about like desktop Ubuntu, but like I got soured on Ubuntu in the early days because they were trying to use boot splash or use splash or something. And it was just hanging on boot with uh, the video card I had in the machine. So like your first experience with it is the boot hangs. Well, that's not good. <laughs> so then you got to learn how to turn all that off and stuff like that. So sometimes that polish and trying to make things look better can actually actively work against you is what I'm trying to say. And my first experience was everything being completely unusable because my machine was not powerful enough. I'm sure that has colored my opinions as well. Well, as for popular, not necessarily equaling good, I've got a musical analogy for you, and it's two words, Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'll take your word for that. I am not very familiar with her uh, music. The same. <laughs> right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Gary. And I've been Amalith. See you later.